One Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. And for more information, please visit us on the web at onechurch.net. Well, good morning, One Church family and friends. We are so, so glad to be together today. I hope you're having a wonderful day wherever you're at today, whether you're gathered in house church, around the table, hopefully have enjoyed some delicious food together, a time of worship and prayer, turning your hearts towards the Lord. Or maybe you're just at home with your family, with a roommate. Uh, I want to encourage you wherever you're at today just to connect with one another. Even if you're by yourself, maybe you're traveling on family vacation, uh, I want to encourage you just to take some time to connect uh, because church can never be alone. Church cannot happen in isolation. We are a community and uh, we are so glad that we can connect even in this season And, uh, you know, we are kind of in a unique moment right now uh, as we are in preparation for our building and moving forward towards uh, the the renovation on our building that I am so excited about that is coming up for us in early 2022, which is hard to believe that we're even thinking that way. But we are, of course, now in the second half of 2021, uh, heading towards, looking towards 2022 and being in a place of our own, a home of our own. Uh, But in the meantime, God is moving in this moment. God is moving among us. And uh, we are looking forward to having a place to call home. But uh, as I always say, church is not the building. And so uh, even as we're preparing the place, I believe that God is preparing a people. And uh, I, that's really what I want to speak to you today about. And uh, last week, we kicked off a new series that we are calling Counterculture. And I shared with you last Sunday that as we've entered into the second half of this year and we are uh, doing the physical uh, renovations on our building, I, I took some time in the month of June just to pray and to seek God and to say, God, what are you saying to us? What do you have for us? I know we're in this project of uh, you know, renovating this building, but God, what are you saying to your people? And I felt like the Lord put on my heart this phrase, reforming community. And that just as we are renovating the building, that we are also simultaneously reforming our community, regathering, reconnecting um, into the church and, and all that God has called us to be. And so, of course, we've been doing some things just to get together more frequently. Uh, this week, there was a women's hangout, which was just an awesome time. Uh, we're also having our morning prayer meetings happening every Wednesday morning at 6.30 online, uh, 7 o'clock in person at the Future Open House. Uh, also, this coming Saturday, we've got a men's skeet shootout. And uh, you can go to our events page on our website for all the details on that. But some great, great things uh, coming up. But really, more important than those natural things, uh, where do we go to discover the the picture of community that God wants us to be? And and I believe, uh, number one, we go to the Bible, but specifically to Jesus. And so we have started this series that we're calling Counterculture, and we're going to be looking at uh, the Sermon on the Mount out of Matthew chapter 5 to 7, which is really the, the manifesto of the kingdom of God and what Jesus came to do and to bring onto the earth 
through the church. And so next Sunday, we're going to get into Matthew chapter 5. But I want to just kind of pick up on what we started last week, which is really an introduction to this message of becoming a counterculture community. And I shared with you out of Matthew chapter 4 last week that uh, as Jesus is preparing uh, to preach this Sermon on the Mount, as he is uh, beginning his ministry, he opens his ministry with these words in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. Uh, It says this, that from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Let me say that again. Jesus from that time began to preach and to say, repent or change your thinking for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I want you to get that phrase in your heart. I want you to get that phrase in your mind, on your mouth, the kingdom of heaven in your mouth, that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was Jesus's message, that God's kingdom, God's rule, God's reign is, yes, a a future fullness, but it is available to us here and now. It is at hand. It is present. I know that phrase at hand is maybe not a phrase that we often use, um, but it it means that it is available. If we were to bring that into perhaps our own vernacular or maybe a, you know, phrase that we would be used to, oftentimes, you know, when dinner's on the table, we say dinner's ready, Uh, come to the table, dinner's ready. Uh, Another way we could say that to use Jesus's terminology would be dinner is at hand. It's here. It's available. Come, come one, come all, come taste and see, come taste and experience. Jesus was saying the kingdom is available to you. And, And I believe that this is so important for us to understand because oftentimes there is a minimizing of the message that, that oftentimes we have come to understand the gospel to be believe in Jesus and you go to heaven when you die. Now, I am so thankful that that is part of the message, that whether we live 120 years or whether we live far shorter or perhaps Jesus returns in our lifetime, we have the blessed hope that when we breathe our last breath in these bodies, that we are entering into the fullness of the kingdom to come. And that is, as it is often called, the blessed hope. That is a wonderful encouragement. But there is more to the gospel than that. And that's what Jesus is saying, that it's not just life insurance. It's not just an insurance policy, but it is available to us now. And I believe that's so important because that helps us to understand that the gospel is not just about life after we die. It's about life here and now. And it's more than just insurance. It's power for life. And, you know, for a lot of people, we think that it's kind of like insurance on our car. Uh, That salvation is like our car insurance, which is good to have, but I never want to use it. And, but, but it's, salvation is more than that. You know, it's good to have car insurance, but it's better to have a car that runs. Uh, And you can have both. I believe God wants our salvation. He wants our faith to work here and now. And he also wants us to recognize that regardless of what we face in this life, that there is the promise of eternal life to come. 
And so I, I want us to really understand that, that Jesus's message was the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is at hand. That was Jesus's message. And we see that throughout all of the gospels and really all of scripture. And I encourage you last week as you read the scripture, just to take a highlighter sometime and, and begin to highlight every place that references the kingdom of God, the rule of God, the reign of God, the throne of God, the authority of God. And you'll begin to see, oh my goodness, this is the whole story of the Bible. But oftentimes we miss it. And I told you last Sunday that that's kind of like, uh, if you've ever seen the movie, The Sixth Sense, uh, you watch the whole movie and you don't realize that Bruce Willis is dead. Spoiler alert, I know. And that's often true for us. We miss the message. And the reason that that is so important is that the information that we believe determines the life we live. The information we believe determines the life we live because that information creates our thinking and our thinking determines our life. That's why Jesus says, repent or change your thinking. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But in order to enter into what God has available to you through Jesus, you're going to have to change your thinking. The thoughts you think determines the life you lead. Your ideas shape your reality. And that is true really in all of life, that, that, that our ideas shape our reality. That's why Jesus was preaching. He was proclaiming. He was spreading he, the, the good news. He was announcing this information that it is available to us here and now. The kingdom of heaven is available to us here and now. And, and it was through that announcement that there was an invitation for people to enter into that reality. The ideas we believe determines the life that we live. And all, if you think about it, really everything we see started with an idea. Uh, the building that you're in right now started with an idea. The device that you're probably watching this on right now started with an idea. Uh, this country that we live in, if you're in the United States of America or wherever you're watching this, began with an idea. In fact, it was a, an idea or the announcement of an idea that formed this nation that we now live in. You know, we talk now about the United States of America and it is a concrete reality. It is a place with borders and, and you know, it, it feels uh, concrete. But at one point in time, it, it began with an announcement. It's called the Declaration of Independence. It was the the information that formed the reality. Uh, we see this in other areas of life, uh, and I'm just trying to kind of form this understanding. We're going to get to some points in a minute, but that the life that we live and our experience is determined by the information we believe. It's, it's what's called a worldview. And what you believe to be true about the world determines how you see the world and ultimately determines the life that you live. If you believe that you are defeated, that you are a victim, you will live your life as a victim. If you believe that you, uh, that, that you have been offered eternal life through Jesus, then you will live in light of that. I love the story of Roger Bannister, the man who broke the four-minute mile in 1953. And up until that point, 
it had been thought that it was impossible to break the four-minute mile. It was thought that if anybody ever broke the four-minute mile, their heart would explode and they would die. But the crazy thing happened that when Roger Bannister broke the four-minute mile, suddenly everybody else became, well, not everybody, but many other people, <laughs> a handful of other people began to break the four-minute mile. Not everybody. I, I certainly haven't done that. But my point is that once they, they believed it to be possible, suddenly it changed their experience. And I believe that that is crucial for us to understand as a church because what Jesus's message was and is is not just that you can go to heaven when you die, but that you can enter into life in the kingdom of God here and now. Today, we can enter into life in the kingdom of God. And this is the story of the Bible. In fact, the book of Acts opens up after Jesus has been raised from the dead. It begins with this in Acts chapter 1, verse 3. Luke tells us that he presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them, by his disciples during 40 days, and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. I want you to see that, that Jesus, after his resurrection, spent 40 days with his disciples and he was talking to them about the kingdom. He was talking to them. He wanted them to grasp this reality, this good news that through his resurrection, they could enter into the kingdom of God here and now. The Bible tells us at the book of Acts that the apostle Paul was imprisoned in Rome. And it says this in Acts chapter 28, verse 30 to 31, that then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. So I want you to see that, that the book of Acts opens with, Je with Jesus preaching and teaching the kingdom of God. And the book of Acts ends with the apostle Paul preaching and teaching the kingdom of God. This is the message of the Bible, that the kingdom of God is available here and now, and that we can enter into life in the kingdom here and now. The, the good news is not just that we can go to heaven when we die, but that we can experience life with God, life in the kingdom of God here and now. And so last week we talked about some characteristics of the kingdom. I, I told you that the kingdom has a king, uh, that that it is centered around Jesus, that he is the king uh, of the universe. I told you that a, king, a kingdom has, um, has a domain, that there is a sphere of rulership in the kingdom of God. I told you that the kingdom of God has uh, citizens, that when we are born again, uh, we are entering into life in God's kingdom. The kingdom of God has has a constitution, the word of God. The Bible is a legal document. It is telling us, just like the Constitution of the United States of America tells us as American citizens, our rights and responsibilities and forms the culture of our nation. The Bible it reveals to us the rights and responsibilities that we have as citizens in the kingdom of God. 
And, and I won't go over all of those details, but I'm wanting you to see that really as a church, what it means to be a church is to be a little outpost of God's kingdom here on earth. In fact, the word church, ecclesia, is not a religious word, it's a government word. And that is so important for us to really grasp what God has called us to be and to do as his people on the earth. And so I want to just kind of pick up on that this week and with a few more points that I would say uh, are contrasts in the kingdom. And we are wanting to get a better picture of what it means to live life in the kingdom of God. And so one of the ways that we can really understand the kingdom is to contrast the kingdom of God with the kingdoms of man or this natural world that we live in. You know, on your TV, uh, there is a contrast setting. It used to be a knob. Now it's just a button in the settings on a smart TV. But one of the ways that you can get a clearer picture is by turning up the contrast. And, and I believe that it's helpful for us to turn up the contrast. How do we understand the kingdom of God? How do we get a picture for what God wants to give us in the kingdom uh, to get a clear picture, we can turn up the contrast. And so I want to share with you today three contrasts in the kingdom of God that will help us to get a better picture of life in the kingdom so that we can really understand the counterculture that God is calling us to be. The first thing I want you to see, the first contrast is that the kingdom of God is an upside down kingdom. The kingdom of God is an upside down kingdom. What do I mean by that? Well, uh, I, I mean this, that every kingdom by its very nature is a hierarchy. I, I know we don't like that. Uh, oftentimes we want to be very egalitarian. We want everybody to be equal. Uh, but a kingdom by its very nature has a hierarchy. It, it, it has a flow of authority. And, you know, in the natural, in the world that we live in, uh, there are lots of hierarchies. There is a governmental hierarchy, there is a president, there is a Supreme Court, and although they are equal as citizens, they, they are, um, you know, above us in authority. Um, you know, in, in other ways, there's a, a boss at your work, probably, or perhaps you're the boss. You're a person uh, above others. Uh, you are in control of what happens. And, you know, there's even culturally status symbols by which people uh, seek to communicate where they are in a social pecking order. Perhaps the car they drive, perhaps the neighborhood they live in, perhaps the watch they wear, the clothes they wear, uh, you know, any number of things that communicate a, a certain hierarchy. And of course, different cultures value different things and, and, you know, show their hierarchy in different ways. But in the kingdom of God, a hierarchy is not a top-down hierarchy. It's actually a bottom-up hierarchy. Uh, it's not a demonstration of our own power and control, but a demonstration of our uh, surrender and submission that actually brings us into a place of greater authority, greater power in the kingdom of God. It's an upside down kingdom. You know, this week uh, and over the last couple of weeks, there has been kind of a new space race. Uh, billionaires have been showing their dominance and their power and kind of, 
you know, maybe it's an ego trip or maybe it's well-intentioned, I don't know, but there has been this idea of which billionaire will lead the race to get to space first. And people, you know, pay millions of dollars to uh, ride in the, a commercial rocket ship, basically. And, and you know, certainly there, there is some value to that, but a lot of it is a status symbol. It's just showing, uh, you know, look at this. I'm the first one to take this step. And it's a demonstration of power, a demonstration of wealth, a demonstration of control. But in the kingdom of God, it's not a a top-down kingdom. It's a bottom-up kingdom. In the kingdom of God, the greatest demonstration of, uh, of power and of status was not in a rocket ship, but it was actually Jesus being elevated on the cross. And because our king is the servant of all, this is an upside down kingdom. And in fact, the Bible talks about this in Matthew chapter 20, verse 25 to 28. Jesus says this, whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What Jesus is saying is that in the world we live in, it's all about a status symbol. It's all about showing my power, my control my greatness through exalting myself above others. But he says in the kingdom of God, it's a different culture. It's not about exalting yourself through status, but greatness comes through humbling yourself in service. And I want you to notice that in this passage, Jesus does not condemn his followers for wanting to be great. He doesn't say you shouldn't want to be great. He actually redefines greatness by saying, if you want to be great, become the servant of all. And he is turning our kingdom and the culture of his kingdom upside down. That in the kingdom of God, greatness does not come through a demonstration of status, but through a demonstration of service. I want to ask you, what would it look like if you spent and I spent less time thinking about how do we rank with other people? How many followers do we have? Where do we fall on the social pecking order? How do people perceive us? Think about all of the time that we spend on, you know, interpersonal pecking orders. What would happen if rather than focusing on how do I rank, what is my status, what would it look like if we began to walk into a room and rather than thinking, you know, how do people treat me? Do do they think I'm a big deal? Are they impressed with me? What if we begin to walk into a room thinking, who can I serve? Who can I love? Who can I lift up? And Jesus says this, "If if you want to be great, it's not by being above others, but by coming under and serving others because his kingdom is an upside down kingdom. 
The second thing I, I want you to see, and I believe this just kind of gives a frame of understanding for what we're going to get into in the Beatitudes and the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, is not only is God's kingdom an upside-down kingdom, but it's also an inside-out kingdom. It's an inside-out kingdom. In other words, His kingdom is not about externals, but about internals primarily. It's an internal kingdom. And Jesus spells this out and really gives us an understanding of this in Luke chapter 17. It says that one of the Pharisees asked him when the kingdom of God would come. He, he was saying, Jesus, we've been looking for this Messiah. You know, Israel has been waiting for the kingdom to come. And he thought there was going to be, you know, some great king with all the pomp and circumstance of his royalty that would ride in on a white stallion into Jerusalem that would set up his kingdom, build a beautiful palace, and people would flood in. And there will be a day that that will happen. But Jesus said, you don't understand. He said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. Nor will they say, see here or see there, for the kingdom of God is within you. And Jesus was helping us to understand the kingdom by drawing the contrast that not only is his kingdom an upside down kingdom, but it's also an inside out kingdom. You know, man always focuses on externals. And, and partly it's just the natural reality of our life. We live in a physical body. We have eyes and ears that engage with this, spirit, with this physical world. But Jesus is saying this, that my kingdom is not just a physical kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom. It's not in externals. It's not through what you wear and, and, and doing, you know, your hair a certain way or uh, presenting yourself a certain way. The religious people loved external things. Jesus says that they love to make their phylacteries big. That was a, a big show about religion. How, how spiritual are you? How religious are you? They love to demonstrate it outwardly. But Jesus said, you don't understand. My kingdom is not external. He said, the kingdom of God is within you. And I, I want you to understand that. We need to understand that. That God's kingdom is not firstly an external kingdom but an internal kingdom. When Jesus comes into our life, then the Holy Spirit comes into our heart, in our spirit, our inner man. We become born again. We become transformed, not outwardly, but inwardly. There's an internal transformation. Now, I said that is firstly an internal transformation, but it won't end with an internal transformation. The internal will transform the out, outward, the external. But it's the, it's the kingdom of God within. You see, the most important place in the world is not the White House. It, it, the most important place in the world is not the Supreme Court. The thing that controls the world is not some external place of power. The thing that controls the world, the most important place is our hearts. It's our hearts. And when Jesus comes into our life, he brings his kingdom within. There's an inward transformation. 
And that will begin to affect what comes out of us. That's why Jesus says, you're not defiled by what you eat. You're not defiled by what you put into your mouth. You're defiled by what comes out of your mouth because what comes out of your mouth reveals what is in your heart. And as a counterculture, as a kingdom culture, God calls us to be people that don't prize the externals as the most important. It's not about how we look and how we appear. It's not that those things don't matter, but that is not what gives us our status or our identity. It's actually what comes out from our hearts. That's why our words and our facial expressions are so important because really what determines who we are is not what we put on, but what comes out of us. And the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So if we're a counterculture community, we're going to carry peace. We're going to reflect joy into the environment around us. And I want to ask you this question today. How is the condition of your heart? How is the condition of your heart? If the kingdom of God is within you, the Bible says this in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, that above all else, we are to keep our heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. Guard your heart, another translation says. And that, that means this, we need to be careful about what we put into our heart. The kingdom of God doesn't have physical borders, but there are borders in our heart that we are to guard our heart. We're to allow good things to fill our hearts so that we can manifest the kingdom of God from the inside out. You know, even as we prepare the, the physical space of this building, the open house that we're moving into, we want it to be a beautiful space. I, I love all of the aesthetics of decor and uh, the, the architecture that will be so beautiful in this space that will be a home for us. But we really want that beauty to merely be a reflection of the internal beauty. You know, if it's outwardly beautiful, but when you walk in, people are not welcoming, people are not happy, people are not joyful. It's not a reflection of the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is not an outward kingdom. It's an inward kingdom. It's an inside out kingdom. I want to ask you today, what do you prioritize? Do you prioritize externals or do you prioritize firstly the internal condition of your heart? You know, we all do the best we can with what we have to present ourselves in, in our clothes or perhaps makeup or the external things the best way that we can. But more important than that is the condition of our heart. So number one, God's kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. Number two, it's an inside-out kingdom. And the third thing I want you to see is this, that it is a back-to-front kingdom. The kingdom of God is a back-to-front kingdom. What do I mean by that? Well, it, it is what theologians call the tension between the already and the not yet. You know, the Bible tells us that there will be a day that the kingdom will be manifest in its fullness, that there will be a day where God's kingdom will be established. And it says this, in fact, in Revelation chapter 11, verse 15, that one day that, that uh, the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms 
of our Lord and Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. And that is a future reality. But we are living that out from the back to the front or, or from, from the end backwards. Uh, I'll give you an example. Perhaps you've seen a movie uh, that has that sort of a plot line. There's some movies, uh, maybe you remember Forrest Gump. At the beginning of Forrest Gump, it starts out, it opens up with Forrest sitting on a bench and he's got a box of chocolates. And it tells, it gives us that snapshot, but then it tells us the backstory. Uh, another movie I saw years ago, I think was called Crash. And in Crash, it ends, or it starts with this climactic ending uh, of all of these cars, I think, crashing together. But then it actually tells the story behind that. And, and it helps you to understand what it was that brought everything to that point. It, it gives you the crescendo and then tells you the story that leads to that. It's using the crescendo to create the tension between the, the outcome or the conclusion and the progress of the story. And we live in that tension right now. You know, the Bible tells us that there will be a day that all uh, sadness and all uh, sickness and, and every area of brokenness in the world will be healed. And there will be a day that Jesus's kingdom will come in fullness. But we're living in the tension between the already and the not yet. We are working out what is it, what is the story? And ultimately, when we live our lives, not for our own story, but for his story, we become a part of the greatest story on earth. And what a wonderful story it is that we know that regardless of what challenges we face, regardless of what difficult circumstances we face here in life, we know the end of the story. We know that Jesus has already won, that he's already victorious, that regardless of what we're facing now, that there is a wonderful future promised ahead for every single one of us. And I believe that God wants us to understand that we are living in a back-to-front story. We are living in this tension between the already and the not yet. And here's what I want to ask you today. What would it look like if... The crescendo of your life was not, you know, some significant birthday that you have or perhaps the day that you get a great promotion or perhaps even the day a baby is born or whatever that moment is that we can look towards as a significant moment. What if the crescendo of our lives was lived for that moment that one day every knee will bow? and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. What if we lived our lives for the crescendo of all creation when Jesus is enthroned eternally as the King of kings and the Lord of lords? I believe it would change the way we live our lives. And as a community, as a church, family. We want to be that kind of community. We want to be a kingdom community. We want to be a community that lives in an upside down kingdom, that we're not promoting our own status, but we are people that serve one another, even as Christ has served us. We want to be a community that is not focused on externals primarily, but is living out the inward reality 
of the Holy Spirit establishing the reign of God in our hearts. We want to be a community that is not living for our own present glory, but we are living for the eternal glory of God in Jesus Christ. That's the kind of community that we want to be. That's what God is calling us to be, a counterculture, the kingdom of heaven here on earth. Can I pray for you today? Father, I thank you for every person that's watching this video today, every person that's joining us. Father, whether they're joining us in house church, whether they're joining us at home, Father, wherever they're at, God, we pray that you would now, by the Holy Spirit, come among us. We ask that you would come and manifest your kingdom. Father, we ask that you would help us to be a counterculture. God, that we would not be like the world that is perpetually seeking status, but God, that we would be like Jesus, that we would humble ourselves to serve one another. God, I pray that we would be people that are not focused on external presentation, but God, we would be focused on the inward reality that the kingdom of God has come in our hearts. And Father, I pray we would be people that would live in this reality of the back to front kingdom. God, thank you that regardless of what we are facing today, Lord, we know the crescendo of our lives, the outcome of our lives is secure in the kingdom of God. And Father, we pray that we would live that way in every day. We thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, church, thank you so much for joining us today. It's such an honor to be with you. I want to encourage you to stay connected. Next Sunday, we're going to be back together as a one church gathering at the Winter Park Community Center. We can't wait to see you then. God bless you. Have an awesome day.